0: Everyone and welcome to another Scotch podcast and I'm joined today by poet, translator, linguist, educator and musician Anne Pia. Hello Anne. Hello Alistair. Now that's quite a CV. Um, can you tell us a bit about your fascinating story and uh, just how you've come to this point and all the things that we've covered there? Well I think the important
1: thing, the first thing to say is that uh music has always been a soundtrack to my life it's always been a very very central part to my life right from when i I suppose i grew up in a musical home my mother loved jazz all of that so grew up with that uh started learning the piano at 12 and then we've moved from there to you know a love of Scots traditional music opera classical music and so on that definitely um food as well which we'll probably come to later Languages, I grew up with an Italian grandmother, she brought me up. Uh, Italian dialect was probably my first language. That's very distinct from Italian, which i learned later. Right. And again, we'll probably come to that. But I think that opened me up, that experience opened me up to learning other languages and appreciating other languages. Uh, and I got very into French um, probably in my last years at school and you know would, in a sense would love to have lived in France actually but that never happened but I always like to identify as French when I'm in France try to be French so there's that education I suppose um, I'm passionate about education and I write to educate in a sense in that I write for young people and um, that's my when I'm writing that's my target audience I'm writing for people in their 20s to 40 somethings um, that's in my head and wanted to communicate with them, to reach out to them and have some dialogue with them. And that really started, um, I suppose I was doing my homework at one night about the age of nine, and I thought, I'd like to, I want to teach. And um, that's what I want to I want to do something, you know, that's worthwhile and valuable. And then really, you know, very easily just went into that and have had a wonderful career in education. Um, I started in secondary, teaching secondary languages. Um, and then became senior manager, went into adult learning Her Majesty's Inspectorate and was on the adult literacy task force for uh, the ministerial task force for adult literacy. And so in a sense, I've retained, if since retirement even, I've retained that tremendous passion and interest in education. Does that cover everything? I think that was all the things, yes.
0: I think that's the the beginning. (laughs) That's a good beginning before we chat. Let's begin with your poetry. well, actually, I wonder, I should have asked you this beforehand, but would it be possible to have a reading? Would that be? Yeah, I could do a reading. I think that would um, be nice for people to hear.
1: A poem. Right. Um, I pre- published this in April 2021. Um, and this is, I suppose, um, kind of evidence of my love of languages, because I decided I wanted to respond to the poems of Jean Baudelaire, Les fleurs du mal, um, a pretty saucy collection of stuff um, from Baudelaire, and indeed from myself. So I translated them and, and wrote responses to them. Um, do, you want, do you want the French as well, or just will I read um, about the, my response? Well,
0: whatever you feel, and just for people who are listening only, what's the name of the book? The name is The Sweetness of
1: Demons, Yeah. and you can see a picture of Charles Baudelaire on the front of that. À une malabareuse tes pieds sont aussi fins que tes mains et ta hanche est large à faire envie à la plus belle blanche et l'artiste pensif ton corps est doux et cher tes grands yeux de velours sont plus noirs que ta chair au pays chaud et bleu où ton dieu t'a fait naître ta tâche est d'allumer la pipe de ton maître I'll move to the English now and read the whole thing and I've called it Lady of the Coconut Cheese Woman from Malibar, let me build a hammock across the expanse of your hips, and I will idle there. Lay down and feathers on your, on your generous belly, and I will slumber deeply there. Let me take each of your feet to nurture and hold, fledglings preparing to fly. For safekeeping, consign each of your treasure-filled hands, and I will teach them a new craft of love play. Between the buttresses of your glorious thighs, I will scent the sweetness of pineapples and the spice oils of your race. Loosen your scarf one more time, and tamarind, I will you in my breathy kisses. And no, I will not take you to stern France, where concrete and grey will fade and reduce you. Pavements and parks contain and drain you. But rather, my dark Malabarèse, stay soft on your mat, in loose robes of muslin, gather bounty, bejewelled by tropical sunshine and rainfall, the offerings of coconut trees and solid men
0: of the sea. That's lovely, and it makes me think: How do you do you approach translation such as that? Different. How is it different to writing your own poetry?
1: It was a very technical exercise. I did it during lockdown, the translation, um, and it was a very good discipline. It was a very good distraction, actually, because it didn't involve emotion. The writing of poetry, I think, is is an emotional thing. But translation, nonetheless, is a creative act, because you stand between the original and what you're going to produce. You stand between that, the native language. The act of translation too is about, I think, getting right inside the language, so for instance I would take one of his poems, read it and read it and read it and let it sit with me and go over it and over it till it was almost internal, so I could find the actual core of the meanings and then express that in the best match possible in English. That's the process, I think, for me, of translation. I have to say to you though that uh, my own book uh, my first book language of my choosing was translated into Italian and it was such a bad translation that my publisher contacted me about a month before it was due to be to go to the printer and said we have to do this again will you do it so I was a, I was booked for a holiday in Spain and I through this translation together, and that was a horrible experience. First of all, it was horrible ruining my holiday, but secondly, and having to find our, an internet cafe every night to send the latest drafts. But the worst of it was when you—it was like going back to a deserted house with the ghosts. Going back to this book of mine that was, you know, two years old. I didn't want to inhabit again, and having to relive it all. So it wasn't a very pleasant experience. I dare say the translation is not that hot either. Pretty might be a bit better than the original. That's it.
0: But that's really interesting because language of my choosing is um a memoir. So to you you probably think, Well, I've written this memoir, I I'm done with that almost. I've done and I'm, I'm presuming that was a very emotional experience to write such a thing, to look back on your on your life and, and write it, and then to have to go back to it once again <laughs> must have been almost terrific. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are bits
1: in the memoir where um you know things came out that i wasn't expecting you know like um my mother's relationship with a man half an age you know and i was i remember writing it in a library in belfast and what i came to the realization when i was writing it that i actually had feelings for him but i could never let that out when i was you know at home with my mother and it only came just a few years ago and i got i got up from the table i couldn't stand i was so emotional actually because just poured out suddenly unexpectedly you know and um, so it was a very emotional thing I think the other thing to say though is that I started the book that book with um I suppose feelings of not quite getting my full due as a as a, a child of my mother's you know that she hadn't parented me well but I ended up Alistair thinking actually it was a process of reconciliation really I ended up thinking she did her best in the time that that she had. Um, so I felt, in a sense, much more at peace with my mother after writing that. So
0: those were two emotional points in the book, I would say. Um, so why did you think, going, going on to the memoir, why did you believe that that was something that you wanted to do, that it was important to do? Um, it was. It started
1: but well, with a challenge from a friend who'd been read poetry of mine, and said, I challenge you to write a book, and i said, I'll never, ever write a book. I don't have the commitment, I don't want to get involved, spend years on it, not getting it published, not doing it. And then um, started fiddling about um, with the history of my grandparents in Viticouza, where they came from, and came over to Scotland in 1913. Started fiddling around with that, got caught up with a lot of the wartime stuff and the suffering that people had back there then. Um, And then, It just things just grew and I suppose as I began to write that I thought this is a good story for my daughters so if nothing else happens it's there for them Um, and then it just you know got more and more intense the experience and the desire to to write it and to move to other aspects
0: of my life and was it always going to be published or was it originally going to be a, a private thing
1: it was a private thing and I kept kind of looking at my finances and saying well I'll just self-publish if nobody wants it, you know. Um, and then what happened was um, I was working with a, 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 an animateur, if you like, a, an Italian who was here to gather stories from Scots-Italians and who didn't, you know, said, well, how are you getting on with the memoir and all of that? And then when I'd done it, I finished it in Holy Isle. Oh, I used to go to Holy Isle before the pandemic to, to as a volunteer to cook, to cook. And uh, finished it there and then came back and contacted Kamlo and he said, um, send me a, a synopsis and I'll, I'll send it out. So he sent it to two publishers that day and within a couple of hours, Lewis Press came back and said, send me the whole book. So I sent it by five o'clock. I was having people in for dinner, I was running about, very panicked and very excited. And then he wrote back that night and said, come and see me next Wednesday if you can. And that's, that's how it happened, it's very exciting.
0: And you say that it was quite um, cathartic in that you are able to perhaps view your relationship with your mother in a different way. But what did it teach you about yourself? Did you then look upon your life in a different way through writing the memoir? I did. Um, I,
1: I saw that, you know, I, I suppose I saw that, that I, the mistakes I'd made weren't that far in some ways from my mother. Uh, the things I, you know, couldn't damn my mother for in many ways. Um, I learned that, I, that motherhood probably was the most important thing in my life. And I hadn't really, I mean, you know, you, you know it kind of in the doing of it, but I hadn't actually sat back and thought what my children had given me. Mm. Um, what they'd given me um, was an experience of youth and fun which I hadn't had growing up in a very kind of difficult home mayhem in my house with scenes and shouting and all the rest of it. Um, so I got joy and fun from them. They taught me that. And they taught me how to mother. So I learned that. I really learned that I'd learned something, if you like, from them. Um, and I suppose the, the, the other thing was I, I, I was writing about some of the key women in my life and my family and I saw them all as very strong women. Suddenly I saw that it was they who'd taken the family forward. Each of the women, my aunt, um, the girl who came, and who came to our house to, to work for my mother, and you know, and my grandmother, my own mother in a way, too. So I saw women as very strong. And I began to have a real sense of the mamissima, the strong woman, the entrepreneur woman. Um, and then that took me to thinking about. Women after the Second World War who had lost their men to the Star and they came into rubble because they, you know, there were riots and shops were destroyed and they just picked up the pieces, literally picked up the pieces and took the business forward with skills that they'd never had before or thought they'd have to use. Um, And and I've, I've thought since that the Scotch Italian community is actually it, it owes what it has. It's it being stable and established now to those women. It's the women who've taken it forward because the men weren't there, you yeah. know. So I believe, and I, I believe that that's under celebrated actually by the community itself. You know, we have very kind of loud men and big men and men who talk a lot about their business, but actually it was the women determinedly, hard-workingly just got on with it yeah. and pushed you know and brought the children with them and learned the language and re-established us actually in in the community because you know people talked about dirty eye ties and not having any devil's blood ice cream and all that stuff you know Mm -hmm. i was going to use a bad word there so um they they did that they brought us back and through their networking skills their ability to be liked their ability to emote to connect with people because italians have those skills those women did that It's
0: interesting interesting you say that because at the beginning we made a list of all the things that you have done and that idea of the entrepreneurial woman or the person that has many strings to the bow, you know, that is a line that you can see in yourself, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, maybe it's something to do with the immigrant. I don't know. It's also something to do with, I suppose, you and I had a conversation a while ago about, you know, PhDs and all of that. And my my one was... um, On identity and constructed identity, um, so that you're never, you're not the same every day or in every situation, or you know you change according to the social structure that they're surrounding or the person you're speaking to, um, and you can be very, very different. And in a sense, what your life is about really is about self-making. That's what you do: you take opportunities and you become somebody else. And so. all the things you describe are me being something else. Yeah. Uh, me with my fiddle, I don't play well, me with my... me talking in French and ex en provence to the woman that owns a cafe, me in a cooking, you know, or, uh, you know, making stock in the Holy Al kitchen, or in a shrine room, because I'm a Buddhist, you know, uh, meditating. These are all different aspects, these are all different me's, and we, in a sense, I think part of the energy in life is to constantly make yourself. That's what takes you forward. And it was particularly true, I felt, during the pandemic, you know, where there was an awful lot of, I was fit, really very, very frightened and wanted to hide under the bed, you know. But eventually you find, you find joy and, and ways of moving yourself forward, even within those restrictions and that awful time that we had.
0: And it does seem to me that uh, all your work is concerned not just with identity, which it is, but also with examining the constrictions that you're talking about. On the back of language of my choosing, if I can quote, it says, I wanted to leave all behind the system, the family, the values, the insidious control of spirit and aspiration, the robbing of us, the new generation, of what it was to be young and hopeful to be happy, which that says to me that there were these constrictions yeah. um, in, in all sorts of kind of systems that you were having to almost escape mm-hmm. to become who you wanted to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it, yeah, I mean, it was the male thing, you know, the male oracle, of course, you know, and the, the domestic violence as well as all of that. Um, and, you know, people, you know, the, the system, the Italian, Scottish-Italian system, um, either seeing women as having to be married um, and be good wives, or, uh, or even maybe even if you know, getting degrees and then coming back, but going to the family network again, um, I felt very constrained by all. Um, and for me, the the out was education, which is probably part of what inspired me to become an educationist myself. It was it was transformative, and um, I just latched on to and drank in all that I got from my wee convent school. You know, in terms of the Schubert Trout Symphony or or, you know, whatever it was, Wordsworth, and uh, the ancient manor drank it all in, loved it, and and moved myself forward. And the best experience, my best school experience, actually, was when my grandmother died and I was put to boarding school at 14. I started to board in that wee school, which was only 10 minutes from my house, actually. But I loved the boarding experience because I was free. It was my life to make. I was free of all the shackles. Just just, just
0: just move forward and i think the different way people um often think about the boarding experience without wanting to simplify it too much is for some people it's an escape and a new beginning and for other people it's a dread because they they don't they almost don't want that freedom or the potential that that brings and it, it made yeah. me think about um i was watching um an interview you've got on youtube and you talk about um being raised catholic and how you had to Escape that and yeah. those kind of institutions to to become yourself, yeah. but it struck me that for some people that's where they find belonging, and that, uh, alternatively that's where they find comfort.
1: That's true, uh, and I've been, you know, I was actually thinking in January because I haven't been able to get to Holy Isle, um, and I was just thinking I need something spiritual in my life, and um, this is awful, and I I can't get to, I can't get to any live meetings, so I began to cycle up to a couple of churches, Christian churches. And i thought well at least you know the discipline i might just fit in and find something and i've decided i don't fit anything i mean it does nothing nothing fits spiritual but no religion i think might be the the thing for me you know just uh, i don't fit anything even Buddhist. i mean i you know i find buddhism difficult too as a patriarchy as a hierarchy all of that but to me it makes the most sense actually and if you were to ask me you know one of my favourite writers, I would say Tyna Han, is an absolutely wonderful, wonderful poet. I recommend him very highly, super.
0: So in a way, was were the arts were where you found your home, if you like? Yeah. You've talked about being there already, but then you've got, uh, I mean, I've, having spoken to you, I know how much you love live events and reading your poetry and being involved in the, the poetry scene and in other scenes, that was a home perhaps for you? Yeah, the
1: arts very much. And um, it was a long journey. I mean, I used to, you know, uh, buy four or five tickets for events on one day during the Edinburgh Festival. I just had a ball, you know, during the festival. And um, did that for years until I, got, you know, got more responsibilities, I suppose. Um, and part of it was a learning process. You know, I used to go to the Asher Hall every Friday night and just sit and listen to the SNO, as it was then and learn the repertoire, you know, um, and that's been a very good base, of course, on which for me to move on, you know, do all the other things. I was also, I mean, I, I did a grade 8 piano, so I was a pianist and really loved doing that and um, played with other people too. Um, that, that's, that's, in a sense, something I've lost and I regret now, but it's taken me to other things. Um, just after I retired, I decided I want to well, I picked up a mandolin just randomly and then decided to invite someone to help me play it. So so I've done that. I've had, and I thought then, you know, I'll never be perfect again or forever. you know, I'll never be at that level, I'll never be at that level. But I, if I could just play to enjoy the instrument and play with people accepted, you know, that might not be quite so good, that'd be great. And so the mandolin's been fab. And then uh, during lockdown, I taught myself the fiddle. And again, I mean, it's a bit swooping and scratchy, but I do play with people and we have fun, and that's that's the
0: main thing, actually. No, absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned you've done, it sounds like you've done quite a lot of things during lockdown, but was it a difficult period? I mean, it was a difficult period for everyone, but I'm guessing it probably was. For yourself. It was a
1: very, It was because my, my daughters, um, one's in Bristol and two are in London, so obviously I couldn't get there except when they lifted restrictions, um, and I remember actually I, I hadn't seen them. I didn't see them at Christmas 2020. That was awful. I, you know, I'm not that uh, gregarious, but I was standing at the window on my own, um, waiting from my husband tried my ex-husband because he was coming because he was one of the he was a bubble, and um, I was standing just waving at passers-by, saying "Happy Christmas," you know, like some kind of demented lunatic and then I wrote to Nicola in January and said please give me my children back this is awful and actually one of the things I discovered through lockdown was how Italian I actually am Uh, I've gone through periods where I'm not Italian and I'm not Scottish and I'm maybe French and I'm all these things but I realized that my gut in my gut I'm so Italian and it it's it's to do with my reactions and my passions, you know, like like writing to my class, giving my children back. It's so dramatic, you know. Um I can't imagine many Scots people doing that really. They might do it another, way. <laughs> you know, or crying when I'm, you know, on the phone to them, you know, or or crying at seeing somebody cut kiss somebody else, you know. So uh, that it defined my my italianism and that maybe isn't a bad thing
0: and that's led to my new book of course yeah um, which we will talk about absolutely yeah, um, just yeah. To go, that, again it kind of strengthens that idea of how um fluid and changeable identity is i love the idea that you go to france and when you're there you're french and even the fact that you say you're writing for people who are between 20s and 40s that's going to reflect upon the youth that you feel in yourself and say you know this yeah. is These are the people I identify with. And I do, I think that's very true. I think that is something that um, some people maybe do not accept, but there is this constant change about who we are and how we view ourselves and how others view us as well.
1: That's true. Well, the trouble, of course, is that people, I mean, I might feel in my 20s or 40s, but people don't see you that way, of course. You know, I get quite insulted when cars stop to let me cross the road, you know, things like that, you know. But uh, yes, I try to. I mean that that that's my market. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, um, it, we are we are who we feel actually, and we are who we want to be. Um, and I think that um, in 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 lockdown, for instance, there were gaps and there were ways of overcoming barriers. I think that was the message in keeping away the spiders. That that second book that I wrote, um, it, it's about saying to people no matter what, almost, almost no matter what, obviously, I'm thinking of Ukraine at the moment, you know, but almost no matter what, there are, we can overcome the barriers, we can move forward in some way or other. And Because I've had barriers, everyone has barriers. Some have more barriers than others, I accept that. And one of the greatest barriers um, to happiness, I suppose, but ultimately did lead to happiness, I'm sure, was having a disabled daughter, giving birth to a disabled daughter, my first daughter. And, and how we found joy um, and bonding, very close bonding throughout that whole period. And she's a, a very successful professional woman now, just come through that. She lives with it. I live with it. We live with it as a family, but we have found happiness as well. And we've, we've reached some kind of barrier and gone to a different place with yeah. it, I think, you know.
0: Well, that's, that's really interesting in the way that um, approaching these barriers, is 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 almost all how you decide that you know how these yeah. things are going to be um, uh, tackled in that way. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you know, the importance of your Italian Scots background, which leads us on to your new book in work, which I'm very excited about. So, what can you tell us about the book that you're working on at the moment?
1: I'm very excited too, Alistair. It, part, partly to cheer me up as well. I'd started it. I'm a great lover of food. I like cooking it. I like Offering it, I like eating it, I like trying it and experimenting with it. I like every kind of cuisine, I think, just about. Um, uh, You know, traveled and been all over, I love Asian food and all the rest of it. So, anyway, this book is to highlight the food of Southern Italy. My thesis is there's no such thing as Italian food.
0: Right.
1: Um, There are, you know, there's Tuscan food, there's Venetian food, all the rest of it. So, So, this is about the food of Southern Italy. But it not only highlights the food of Southern Italy. Um, I, a food, it tells anecdotes. It highlights the language of Southern Italy, the lovely, lovely dialect, that rich gravy-like dialect which comes from there. Uh, the music of Southern Italy as well. So it's a it's a culture book about Southern Italy and the culture. There are recipes, obviously, in it, and that you know that is a focus but there's stories around that. Um, And wee bits of, wee snippets of, you know, history, um, history of, uh, you know, the mozzarella, where mozzarella comes from, um, history of crostini, how they developed, you know, they were food of the poor people, the scraps of bread, they had to soften it by pouring wine or olive oil on it or water, and then they put scraps of whatever was left over on the crostini. And that developed into the beautifully elegant, Prostini that we would get in Tina Frescobaldi, for instance, in a dark paneled room, you know, sipping a, a beautiful wine from the Francia Corte or something like that. So, 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 there's that. There's also a soundtrack with the with the book. Um, as I go along, I'm picking out um, singers who uh, who are from from that from that part of Italy, from Naples and Rome, and picking out beautiful dialect. Uh, songs, um, nice lively ones or whatever, as well. So that's that's what the book's about, um, having fun with it.
0: Yeah, and because you've promised wine selections as well, I think there's going to be yes, one. yes, that's I right. Really point. Point. Um, because some people mean well, most people probably won't know that I was a chef for many years uh, uh, in, in restaurants, and actually worked in a Mediterranean restaurant in Australia for a while. Um, and so this just sounds like the perfect book for me. It's got the history, it's got the culture, it's got the music, but it's got the recipes too. So why did you want to do this? What was the inspiration for this book? I suppose um, food, <laughs> for many of
1: us actually, food became very important during lockdown. Yeah. wasn't much else really. Um, so um, it was important, there was a kind of event that my partner and I in the evening would, um, you know, dress nicely, dress, you know, not dressed up, but clean up, you know, and have a nice meal together. And, um, you know, she enjoys my food. Um, her family enjoys my food. My own family enjoy my food. And the, the kind of, I'd gathered lots of recipes during that time. I had the recipes from my grandmother. I dropped my grandmother making frittatas, uh, soft polenta, not the kind of rubbery polenta that we see, you know, in restaurants, fried or grilled, but the soft porridge. Yeah. With a beautiful, lovely sugo on top, and maybe some uh, mushrooms on the side, sauteed truffleati and so on. And I grew up with that. I grew up with her making Easter, Easter uh, puff pastry things called kruschel, she called them. Um, pizza, fabulous pizza. No, never overloaded. One or two ingredients in in squares. She would just put the dough in. With a bit of sugo um, on top, some tomatoes, a bit of garlic, and it was delicious. So, all of those things are, you know, making pastina in brodo, you know, for when you went well, you know, and all it was was just a vegetable broth or a chicken broth with some little pastas, meat pastina in them, and maybe an egg beaten in and that. So, all of these things are there in the book, actually. Um, And then some things I've done myself as well. I learned to make um, bread, for instance, uh, you know, focaccia during lockdown. So these things are there. Um, And I've also referenced really good um, uh, food people like Rachel Roddy, who I think writes beautifully about food and makes you want to eat, you know, eat it, obviously. Um, Anna Del Conte, um, Marcella Hazan, who's my guru and really taught me a lot about French, uh, Italian cooking as well. Um, I think she's out of print now, actually. And um, so these would be my three people, I think that I would go back to again and again for, for well,
0: ideas. classically and probably understandably from you, you aren't going to go, I'm just going to write a cookbook. You've got all these other aspects to it. So how does this book kind of fit in with your other publications? Because again, it's got identity at its core. It has, it has, that's right. It's an expression of
1: Italianism, of Italianismo, of Southern Italianismo, and it's, it's, it is it's it is about um, highlighting what I think people maybe don't know about or want to push aside, which is the dialect and the language, all of that. How it fits in, I suppose, is a... My, my, my dece- the Sweetness of Demons, actually, is an expression of my desire or Frenchism, um, I mean you know i because I, I want to be I want, part of me wants to be french so that's an expression of it um, and i love getting the language on my tongue in the way that i love getting italian on my tongue and the dialect on my tongue. so it fits with that it keep keeping away the spiders when i talked about um this, this book here where i talk about different aspects of identity this i suppose is a fuller account of one identity this new book that one identity that I feel I want to put on the table, I want to share um, for lots and lots of reasons, I, you know, tradition and, and all the fine women and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. Um, and maybe hand something on as well, actually, to my girls, it was that thing. Um, and it does follow on from language of my choosing, which dealt a lot with the roots and the upbringing and all of that, just a good follow, follow on from that. I keep having to stop myself going back into some of those old stories actually this is about food And keep, keep to the subject, you know. Um, so I think it fits in pretty well. It's also a lighter take. This is a serious book actually, um, you know, about sexuality and, and difficult things. Um, and this is a kind this is a, again a serious book, I think. But um, this is a, just a lighthearted, um, but thoughtful uh, book, I think, on, on food and I'm, I'm not sure whether to put in It's still in the making i'm not sure whether to put in um, my experiments with um lebanese cooking with lisa which i love as well and asian cooking um, i might put a wee chat we seek chapter but my daughter said she got annoyed at me and said it was cultural appropriation and i wasn't to do that so so we'll leave that one just now
0: and it does sound, from, from how you described it to me, that this almost was a, 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 the book that you've been working towards. It, 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 it encapsulates all your passions and your interests and your themes and ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I have a difficult relationship with Italy, you know, it's not been an easy one. I mean, they drive me mad. Um, they get, I get really angry in Italy, um, you know, I, I, which is probably why I haven't visited as much As I might have done. I mean, I was there for five months as a student, and I've been back forward. But sometimes I just can't take the stress of it. You know, I get really angry with them. Um, You know, I find it's still quite a sexist society. You know, I find that really difficult. I feel quite repressed by it. Um, But I love the the I love the joyfulness, the gleefulness of Italians. I love the noisiness of the Southern Italians. I love the, the the love, the sheer love of life, I think, the the vivacity of them. Um, And in a a sense, it's maybe, maybe it is in contrast to having had two years of restrictions, actually, that I want to, I want to visit all that, I want to hear a noise, I want people to be lively, move about, I want to see throngs of people. Um, So all of that, I'm imagining bits like that in my book, you know, uh, a wee passage about that, you know, how people just come together, a allora dell'aperitivo, you know, um, and the way that they just gather together and eat one, wonderful chiquete and uh, assagini and all of that with their campari soda. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a
0: celebration, I think. Obviously. And do you have, do you know when it might be published or is that still to be decided? Spoke to uh,
1: Lewis Press, um, so I mean he, he's not said yes yet. Wait, we're hoping he'll say yes. Um, he's got outlines and so on. Uh, we we think that he'll have a draft. We hope by September. Um, so I'm working towards that, uh, and I'm halfway to that. I think um, I'm about twenty thousand words in, so I'm about halfway in. If you think of a book about fifty thousand words, um, yeah, yeah. And there'll be hopefully a playlist at the end of the book. Okay. There was a playlist in or something similar in Keeping We the Spiders. I called it Lockdown Music and I listed the things that kept me going like Duncan Chisholm with COVID Cayley every morning, the gentle light that wakes me and the wonderful things he played in the morning. Um, so there is a playlist. And I also during lockdown, I tried to explore female contemporary composers. So I came across Sally Beamish and other people. So um, yeah, so that's the plan, um, and I, I think I think I'll get that done. I usually go camping in the summer.
0: I usually take myself off of a tent, so I think I'll get quite a lot of writing done then. Excellent. And you mentioned at the beginning that you've got um, a love and a background in Scottish traditional music and kind of folk music as well. So is that the of your Italian Scots background? Was that always there in the Scots background?
1: Was a Scots musicals in my background? Oh, yeah. No. No, I mean my background is um, Ella Fitzgerald, Sarah Vaughan, um, all the great tenor saxophonists, um, uh, you know Louis Armstrong, all that stuff. Grew up with that. Um, my father was a jazz musician. They they just they separated, they divorced, and there was a lot of domestic violence. So I didn't really know my father really. I, I thought last summer when I was six years old, so. But I still remember seeing his saxophone around the house and things like that. But I grew up with that. My mother used to, to we went to Mass with my mother, she used to embarrass me because, you know, you'd sing the Credo and she would sing it with a jazz kind of, she'd sing it a la Billie Holiday. It was really embarrassing, i thought to That's shut up. <laughs> um, um, I still remember doing that. Uh, so, I grew up with that. Uh, so, Scottish music, no, I came to Scottish music, seriously. Just when I retired, um, mm-hmm. I found a wonderful uh, a guru of Scottish traditional music, uh, Nigel Gatherer, and um, I've been going to some of his gatherings, <laughs> classes with mandolin, etc. So I've come to that. And, I, I, you know, I now crave live perform. You know, I've been up, I went up to um, uh, Ullapool, actually, uh, just about a few months ago and joined some musicians there, just take my fiddle and have some fun with it, actually. Yeah. Great.
0: And it's great to be able to do that again, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And it's been such a pleasure to catch up with you. I really do appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed chatting to you, and I'm just wondering maybe I could send you some recipes and you could tile them for me, give me some feedback.
0: Absolutely, yeah, I'll give you proper feedback. Get, take pictures on Instagram as people do these days and Absolutely. get them out there. <laughs>
1: you've you've, you've caused a wee spark for me, you've lit a wee spark there
0: Alistair Excellent, I look forward to that. Thank you very much And we'll be back soon with someone completely different